So imagine, if you will, that tomorrow you receive a phone call from a good friend. Now this friend is somebody you've known for a really long time, someone you feel comfortable talking to, somebody you speak with often, and you get a phone call and you have a conversation, you're just catching up on you know, how life is, and at some point during the conversation, your friend says, you know, I've just felt really lonely lately. The past few days I've just felt lonely. How would you respond? I'm guessing there'd be a number, a variety of responses. A number of you would say, um, you would begin to encourage your friends. You'd begin to let them know that you don't need to feel lonely. Um, I'm here for you. You've got family, you've got friends. Um, you're not alone. We're, we're here for you. And you'd um, ask them, you'd let them know that there's no need for them to be lonely because you, they can call you anytime that you're there for them. Still, some of you, the, a response would be maybe a listening ear. You would ask them questions like, well, why do you feel that way? Or, or is there, are there things that we can do to help you not feel so alone? You'd, you'd make sure that they knew that you were there for them, but you would allow them to talk about their feelings and about their loneliness and what's causing them to feel that way. Still, others of you would um, perhaps put a spiritual uh, twist on your response, and you would say to them, you know, you're never alone because God is always with you. God is there for you. You can pray, you can talk to him, and um, you can speak to him about your problems or about your loneliness. And you would genu genuinely want them to know that God loves them and cares for them and never leaves them alone. But I believe that some of us, most of us, I, I would guess, would respond or want to respond or maybe think to respond in our minds with the words, me too, because you felt lonely as well. Maybe not recently, but sometime in your past, you have felt that sense of loneliness. I've spoken to um, parents who have young children and they feel lonely. Parents of teenagers feel lonely. Um, single people uh, certainly have moments of loneliness. I myself have felt lonely at times. Loneliness is a part of being human. It's just sometimes our human nature just to feel alone. And there's many different reasons people feel alone. And sometimes it can be a good thing because it, it motivates us to get out and to do things, to meet people, to be active. But other times, loneliness can be chronic and it can be debilitating because we just sit in our loneliness. According to a, a research study, the Roots of Loneliness Project, which is an online resource exploring this topic of loneliness, they, they say at the beginning of this year, a report came out, 52% of Americans report feeling lonely. I think it's really important to identify then these feelings of loneliness and to be honest um, and to talk with somebody about it. I believe that Bob Ross knew something about being lonely, not because he expressed his loneliness, but because he painted about it. He would paint a happy little tree on the canvas and he would say, you know, that tree looks lonely. And then he would paint another little tree right up against that tree. And let's got to give him a little friend. That's what he would say. He'd say, got to give, got to give this little tree a friend. Or maybe he'd paint a cloud and then he'd say, that that cloud needs a little friend, let's paint one right next to it. And he would say, everybody needs a friend. 
right? Everybody needs a friend. And, and he'd paint that, uh, a bunch of little trees together. And he wouldn't paint a tree on the other side of the canvas from the one he just painted, but he would paint it right up against that one that he had just painted. Because Bob Ross knew and he understood that being a friend meant being present, being close, perhaps not just physically close, but emotionally and spiritually, that connection. And this isn't a revolutionary or mind-blowing concept that everyone needs a friend. We feel it, we know it, and even God knows it. In Genesis, the beginning of our scriptures, we read that God created Adam, and he placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, this beautiful, wonderful, lush landscape with the trees and the bushes and the animals, and God looked and said, it's good but then he saw something that wasn't good. God looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he created another human. He created Eve, a companion, a friend, a helper. And most of us, we have learned early in our childhood that friendship is important. We make friends, we want friends. Have you ever noticed how easy it is for a child to make a friend? Uh, most uh, children will go to a playground and they're on the swing or a slide and there's another child on the playground and they just, all of a sudden they're playing together and then one of them turns to the other and says, you wanna be my friend? So simple, so easy, and even better if they discover that their favorite, they have the same favorite color, right? I mean, our, both our favorite colors are blue, like that bonds us together somehow. I wonder then, thinking back on your childhood, what did you bond over? What were your childhood friendships like? I had a friend in the neighborhood, her name was Hayes, and Hayes and I rode bikes all around our neighborhood, and we would play make-believe, and we loved horses, and so we'd play um, with My Little Ponies all the time, and we'd explore the woods back behind my parents' house, and we were just best friends in elementary school. I thought we would be friends forever, we're those type of friends. But she was a year older than I was, and so when she went to sixth grade and moved up to middle school, and I was still in elementary school, things began to change. Her interests were more about makeup and boys and sports and school, and, and I still wanted to play make-believe. I still wanted to ride our bikes all around um, the neighborhood. And it hurt. Friendships change. Friendships develop. It was a it's so hurtful that I, I created a little quiz because um, I didn't want to grow up. I didn't want to. I didn't want things to change. I wanted us to be friends forever and to be young forever. And so I cre created this quiz of like, how do you know that you're growing up, or how do you know that you're getting older? <laughs> so looking back, it's kind of silly and and um, childish for sure. But as you grow up and you become an adult, you realize making friends is kind of hard. It's kind of challenging at times. I wonder, when is the last time you made a new friend? Think about it. What happens when you get older? When, when, it's, when you have kind of all your friendships are, are set? Um, there's lots of videos, lots of articles out there online uh, addressing this challenge of making friends as an adult. You'd be surprised. Um, most of them, 
you know, or giving how-to advice on how to be friends with people. But at a, by a certain age, you've kind of established your relationships. You've established a, uh, having a spouse and having kids and, a co and co-workers. And it's difficult to find time to, to make and to foster new friendships, especially those deep, connecting friendships. According to the same study that I cited earlier, the Roots of Loneliness Project, 58% of Americans reported they sometimes or always feel like no one knows them well. No one knows them well. Do you ever feel that way? That you're not quite sure people know the real you? Do you ever feel that way in church? People, you know, you just show up on Sunday morning, you say hi, and then you go about your week activity, but nobody in the church kind of knows you well. I sat across from a friend of mine recently, a couple, well, a couple months ago it was, she just moved to a new city, not Atlanta, it was a different city that I was in, and she just moved there, and she was trying to find a church home. And she knew that being in a church was important. She had worked at a church, and she realized that um, it's where you find connections. And she wants to serve in a church and find ministry. And so she was uh, visiting different churches, and she re recalled for me an account that she went to a church, and she sat in the pew and enjoyed the service, but not a single person spoke to her. Not even the pastor greeted her. But my friend didn't let this uh, deter her. She found another church to go to the following Sunday, and she was bound and determined to, to find a new church. And so she went to this church, and she was a little bit more encouraged because from the front, they said, if anyone is visiting with us this morning, we want to greet you. We have a table out in the um, you know, kind of gathering space, the lobby area and please meet us there after the service. And so my friend was really excited. She was like, well, this is great. I'll actually meet some people and maybe be introduced to some folks and uh, find ministry here. And so after the service, she went to the designated spot and she knew she was in the right spot because it's had like a big like, welcome sign, but there was no one else around. And she kind of waited and, and there was nobody coming. And so she waited a little bit longer. She thought, well, maybe they're just busy and maybe they'll be here soon. And so finally, a woman came around the corner and, and looked at my friend and, and kind of smiled, didn't say anything, but just smiled, and then gathered up some papers of, that were on a table and walked away. <laughs> and I was, when, as my friend is telling me this, I just couldn't believe it because I, I don't think that there's um, a place in the church for not greeting visitors, right? I hope that I'm never a part of a church that that doesn't welcome visitors. That's not Peachtree. Peachtree, we welcome people, we greet people, we invite them to come to gathering to the fellowship time and, and meet people. If there's any place that a visitor or somebody should feel welcome and embraced, it should be the church, right? The church should be an environment where new and uh, existing friendships flourish, right? I love that word of flourish. We just, we, we grow and develop in our friendships. But sadly, I'm, I'm guessing that a number of people feel more comfortable and more welcome at a bar stool than they do in the pew, sadly. But here in Acts 2, we read an example of a true community. It's the creation, the birth of a new community. Early in chapter 2, if you read, um, and really actually the hymn that we sang describes what is happening 
at the beginning of chapter 2 of Acts. It's the day of Pentecost. It's all believers are all together in one place, and then the Holy Spirit descends upon them like an act of violent wind. What must, what must that have been like? And a community was born, a community that was full of differences, all these different languages being spoken. And so they had to come together, they had to build something, a common life together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the verses that were so beautifully read this morning, verses 36 through 47, it describes the creation of this community. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, creates the church. So Pentecost is the birthday of the church. You should have, we should all have birthday cake later on today. It's the birthday of the cake. And so these texts describe how this community, this community of believers was formed People heard the message of Jesus Christ. They heard, Jesus, the, they heard Peter proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah and the Lord. And so those who heard asked the question, what must we do? What's next? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is the same a declaration that we proclaim when people walk through the waters of baptism here at Peachtree, we, we tell them that they are repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this community, it continues to be formed. It's not just formed because they come together and they're, they're present with one another. They form also because they practice disciplines, spiritual disciplines. They, they practice them together. It describes that they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I'm going to break those down for just a minute. So it's more than just showing up. They, they learned, they creatively learned how to um, teach the apostles' um, stories, the stories of God, the stories about God's people. They didn't have the New Testament as we have it today. They would talk about the teachings of Jesus, firsthand accounts, of what they saw Jesus do. So they, they devoted themselves to what we would maybe call Bible study today. And they also devoted themselves to fellowship. And now fellowship is kind of this funny little word in that you know we talk about fellowship and we talk about we need more fellowship and we're fellowshipping and doing such fellowship. <laughs> but the, the modern idea of fellowship has become watered down. It doesn't mean what it mean, meant in the New Testament. The New Testament Greek word for fellowship was kononia. And this um, word, the main idea of this word is to share together, take part together. And it also means to share with, meaning um, sense of giving to one another. So there's four main aspects I want you to understand about fellowship. The first is fellowship is sharing together in this common life with other believers. It's through a relationship, though. So fellowship is first and foremost a relationship rather than activity. And then once you create this relationship, relationship with God and relationship with others, then there's activities that follow, that come out of those relationships. Secondly, Christian fellowship also involves partnership. It means that we're coming alongside one another and we're serving one another. We're serving with one another and we're serving one another face to face. It's being partners in the gospel. 
Fellowship is also companionship. Companionship in the sense that it's communicating. It's speaking to one another. It's sharing with one another, sharing and receiving joys and sorrows. It's asking one another. It's looking each other in the eye and asking one another, how are you? And then taking the time to listen. And also taking the time to share because it's so easy to just say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everyone's fine. We're all fine. We're fine. We use that word a lot. So fellowship is really sharing, you know, the joys. What is God doing in your life? And then also the sorrows. How can we pray for one another? When's the last time you asked someone just, how can I pray for you? And finally, fellowship includes stewardship. Sharing material possessions and being generous with what God has given you. Being generous with your time as well as your money. You know, perhaps this is the hardest aspect of fellowship because what's mine is mine, right? But there are people that model generosity. Can you think of somebody in your mind that models generosity? They're just so generous with what God has given them. I once attended a church where the pastor drove an old beat-up Honda CRV. And it was in the city of Boston, and there were some people in our church that didn't have a vehicle. And so my pastor didn't hesitate to hand over the keys if somebody had need, right? If somebody needed to go outside the city for some reason, or if they had um, a large load that they needed to move, they were moving a piece of furniture or moving apartments that, also, that happened so often, um, he would just give them the keys and say, hey, it's in the parking lot. Go, you know, let me know when you need to, when you're bringing it back. And he reasoned that God had given given him that car, and he wanted to share it with the community. There's lots of examples of generosity within the church. Can you imagine what life would be like if if we did, we, we shared what we had with one another? This creative new community in the early church that we read about, it not only came together for the purpose of Bible study and for fellowship, but it also came together to break bread. And in a sense, they shared Holy Communion. They, what we do every Sunday here at the table is we share with, uh, communion with one another. It's not a, just an individual thing, it's a together thing. It's a together thing. And that's what it also speaks about the prayers. Here in Acts, when he says, when they're talking about the prayers, the scriptures are referring to the liturgy of the church, what we do together, all of our worship together. It is the work of the people. It is what we do. It is intentional, and it is with one another. Verse 46 then describes the early church as spending time both in the temple and at home. I think that's a beautiful picture of what we ought to be about is we come and we worship here on Sunday, but then we invite people into our homes. We share with one another. We're, we're generous with one another. So together they praised God and they were, they were helpful. They had goodwill towards one another, positive towards one another. We have an opportunity to create a community that will ease the feeling of loneliness and isolation that is so prevalent in our community, in our world. But how? How do we create that community that welcomes people in, that makes people feel loved and accepted? Well, first and foremost, I believe it is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what we celebrate today. We celebrate Pentecost when we ask the Holy Spirit would come upon us and help us to greet one another with love and care and concern. There's a prayer that, I, that was taught to me in high school. I still remember it to this day. I try often to pray it. Some, most of the time I fail to pray it, but it's a prayer that I think we would do well to pray daily. It says, Lord, help me to take my eyes off myself and put them on someone who needs to know your love. Help me to be the best friend I can be. Lord, help me take my eyes off myself and put them on someone who needs to know your love. Help me to be the best friend I can be. Imagine what our community would be like if we each prayed that prayer, if we each looked around and saw those in need and saw those who need a friend. Everybody needs a friend. Second, I believe that we have to be intentional about creating this community. God placed us together to be in community. So we have to share with one another. We have to ask those tough questions. How can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? And we have to take time to listen. I encourage you, don't hesitate to spend time with somebody who's different than you. And lead with kindness and curiosity. Ask questions. I don't think people, I, I know for a fact, people don't have a problem talking about themselves. I talk about myself a lot. And so just ask questions. Be curious how people are doing. What is their life story? Be interested. And then follow up with them. You, so often we pray for people and then we don't follow up like, was the prayer answered or how's it going or, um, or is there more that I can pray for you about? So it takes work. It does. Relationships take work. Friendships take work. But just imagine the impact that we could all have if we, if we're friend, if we befriend people. We love people the way that God calls us to love. So let us take a look at the canvas of our church. Who needs a friend? Could you be that friend that God places right next to someone who needs you? I think you'll find that everybody, including you, needs a friend. <laughs>